warrior, thief, conqueror, king, Conan. Let us take the world by the throat and make it give us what we desire. Conan the Barbarian. Rated R. Starts Friday at a theater near you. You know, we've spent a, a really nice weekend, guys, just reflecting back on our time together in the Hyborian era. Do you remember those days? It was, it was fun back then. Pre, pre-pandemic, pre-all, pre-Trump, pre-all this stuff. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So lack of civilization and deserts. So much, and... So much sorcery. Sor- sorcery. Swords. Sorcery. Oh. Swords. Swords and sorcery. Yeah. Good God. Sandals, maybe some some camels here and there. Flowing robes. Yeah. Wizards. Yeah. Long snakes. Attire. Snakes. And, you know, just reflecting on that, uh, of course, brought up, you know, a mo- particular movie that we should cover being being that's so similar to our backstory and how we met each other. And uh, back in those days, we were we were conquerors and uh, thieves. I, thieves and barbarians so and then we decided to move on from that those genres and those careers and just start a podcast empire so boom here we are welcome to another episode of reconsinimation i'm john diner i'm david munchak and i'm brett hutchins and this is the podcast that takes a look back at some of our favorite films from the 70s 80s and 90s we're checking out how they hold up today and that's right. We're going to go back to the year 1982 to look at Conan the Barbarian. Ooh. <sighs> All right. Yeah. Who's you in know, that? I, I thought this was a 1981 film, which mm-hmm. would be, I think, the sixth film from 1981, but it's not. It's 82, no. technically. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, glad you caught that before you made that embarrassing mistake. Well, as as we mentioned on a previous show, uh, we hold the record for number of uh, movie podcasts uh, episodes discussing the year 1981. So I wanted to just keep piling it on. I get it. <laughs> but thus, it's 1982. Here we are with uh, David. Is this the? Is this your favorite leading actor? Uh, uh, James Earl Jones. Yeah, he's one of the best. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about Jerry Lopez, of course. <laughs> uh, uh no uh, the lead arnold schwarzenegger um yeah he's 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 top dog man i'll see anything arnold's in and even this and you did yeah and i and finally he, did and you know what <laughs> arnold was such an icon of the 80s and in the the three years of this show we've only covered one arnold film can you believe that? I'm I'm shocked that we haven't we've never circled back to him. We did six or seven Stallones and uh, <laughs> and one Arnie, one Arnie. That's pretty. How's that even? So it was Predator, right? That's the one that you guys did. Predator, yeah. way back in year one. Yeah, we covered Predator. Isn't that wild. I and think 2022 is going to be a big Arnold year for us. It's going to have to be. I mean, it's it always was a competition between um, between 
these two actors between Stallone and Schwarzenegger. And we unintentionally leaned towards Stallone on this show. But here we are. We're going to get Arnold caught back up. And what an epic movie and an epic episode because this is the season three finale of Reconsinimation. Oh, holy. So last one. Three years of this show, huh? Three years. We're going to wrap it up with Arnold. Of course, you can't go out with anything bigger than Arnold Schwarzenegger. Not really. No, no, not in the 80s. But that's not the end of the show. Of course not. We've got a 53-year contract. We are going into year four. So plenty more movies and, and things to talk about. So stay tuned yeah. for that. Uh, you know, it's been uh, year three has been a very exciting year for us. We've covered a ton of great movies. We'd have some giant episodes, our Mortal Kombat, our 100th episode spectacular slash Kurt Russell's birthday party. Right. Oh, yeah. Uh, just a lot of fun. <laughs> fun stuff back in Halloween and, and uh, through the fall and everything. And it, it's uh, you can of course check out those episodes in our archives at www.reconsinimation.com. But let's uh, let's get into Conan the barbarian today. Brent, what was the, uh, when did you first uh, tune in to Conan? Okay. So Conan, I was a big fan of as a kid. I loved Conan. I thought Red Sonja was like a Conan uh, spinoff. It's just very similar. And there just happens to be a barbarian like character played by Arnie in that as well. Uh, but funny story. Uh, after watching this movie this week, I think quite possibly this may have been the first time that I saw Conan the Barbarian. Oh, I saw whoa. Destroyer probably seven or eight times that I remember as a kid because it was, I was going, I was trying to figure out why did I see that so much and not this one? Well, Destroyer was PG, which makes sense that it would, I would have more access to it. And after watching this and, you know, the kind of the more it's, you know, grittier, gorier, uh, you know, there's a lot more uh, like sex and nudity and stuff going on. I, I understood, but I was surprised that I had never seen this now that I'm much older and made it through film school. But yeah, I'm pretty confident that this last week was the first time I'd seen this movie. That is insane to me. So you saw know. this this whole time it was The Destroyer. The whole time. The whole wow. time. Hmm. Interesting. I swear, yeah. you know, I guess we didn't, you and I didn't watch this together. When this came out on I was DVD, trying to I remember. I was it. like, did we not see this together in school? But I don't think we did. If we did, I don't remember it. And watching through, I, I was like, this, none of this feels familiar. The only part of this movie that feels familiar is the scene after he escapes at the beginning and is being chased by the wolves, falls into the little cave grave area the tomb of of whoever and gets the sword and comes back out that's the only part that looked that, that i feel i recognize that, that rang a bell for you yeah i was like okay that looks like maybe i've seen that before but other than that no total 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 loss you just blew my mind man that that's that's crazy but uh, it makes sense it, it it's with destroyer being more accessible at the age we were at when that came out, that does make sense that you would have seen well, that. Well, yeah, 
And I love Destroyer. I mean, I saw Destroyer. I definitely saw Red Sonja, you know, and I was looking through Red Sonja. Okay. PG 13, which was new at the time. Same, and, same director too. And same director. It's, you know, and, and I mean, Kroll, like Kroll is not anything related to this, but I liked these kind of like sorcery, you know, kind of fantasy movies and missed Barbarian completely. Yeah, well, Krull is not, but Call the Conqueror is. Call the Conqueror is, but I'm not talking about, I've, yeah. I've not seen that one. No, I, yeah, I'm I know talking about Krull with Liam Neeson and, and uh, you know, very strange <laughs> kind of film, but saw that at a drive-thru. Nice. Drive-in, drive-in. Drive-in, yeah. Was Kevin Sorbo Krull? That's in Call. That's, that's Call. Call the Conqueror yeah. was, was Kevin Sorbo. Got it. Which I think I, I might have seen that in the theaters. I don't know. You probably I did. I might have. Yeah, I well, like what I about um, David? What about you for Conan? Is this a uh, first time viewing, or do you, you see it before? First time viewing. Um, had had little interest in in uh, in the subject matter. So yeah, like you know, big dudes with swords. I don't know. Something about it wasn't really. Never really. Uh, like I like I like violent movies and, and stuff, you know, like that that's that's fun. Um but for but like not having seen it, not knowing like how it actually is violent or whatever, and just you know, big swords and and dirty look it's kind of not dirty. It's not dirty. I mean it's not it's well they're they're in the dirt. So they're in the they're in the dirt, right? It's, it's okay to say it's dirty, you know. Like it's like there's dirt, you know. <laughs> stuff with dirt doesn't yeah, I don't like dirt. <laughs> <laughs> David's movies have to be clean, clean, be very clean. So, did you? So, were you a fan of Star Wars as a kid? Um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I like Star Wars and, and everything. Sure. So, like, so that's like, a dirty movie. So, like, no, but it's not. It's like it's like galactic and clean, right? But like, yeah, it's it's got uh, Jedi's and and lightsabers versus uh, sorcery and swords. It, one is galactic, one's terrestrial. Like, I get it. Like, it's yeah. Different. And it's, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure what the aesthetic is about, like, just like, I'm not just like huge muscular dudes and loincloths and like with swords and stuff. I, I don't, I don't get it. Like, you know, at least when I was a kid, particularly, I was like, all right, you know, I, I mean, it's, it's not like, cause I know, I know we're not, I know it's not like a sexual thing. It's just a design thing. So, but I just don't, I didn't get it. Like it, to me, the aesthetic of it was like, it was weird, you know? Right. Um, you know, and of course, like, it's not just a muscular person. It's Arnold Schwarzenegger, like his prime. So he's like, he's humongous. Like he's a, he's a monster. And, uh, you know, I don't know. So when I was a kid, I never really, I just never really uh, was drawn to it. So, um, but I like, fan I kind of like fantasy stuff and I like it here and there. So, you know, um, it just might have been that, like, maybe it seemed like a kind of an old movie in a sense. You know, you know, it's eighty-two. It's not that old. Like, <laughs> well, it feels there isn't there is something sort of classic feeling about it. It doesn't feel like an eighties movie. It feels no, yeah, feels yeah. like a late sixties movie almost. Yeah, yeah it has of. that kind of look. Yeah. So when and when it, I mean, and I didn't know anything about it, and then it was like written by John Milius and Oliver Stone, and it's like directed by John Milius. I'm like. Oh my God! This is a real movie. Yeah, this is a legitimate movie. I had no idea, um, uh, and you know, until after I'd watched it. So, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, this was my first time. Didn't see Destroyer. Just stayed away from that stuff. Um, and in watching this, I was like, 
are there going to be like stop motion skeletons or like how high oh, fantasy was it going to get? Yeah. And it's just, it wasn't, it was just, it was just a bloody like sword battling uh, thing. It's cool. Uh, well, I, uh, I remember my early memories of this movie were the, the opening really was when with young Conan and when he is sort of imprisoned on the wheel of pain. I must I must have seen I remember vaguely seeing this movie at my grandmother's house. She must have rented it or something or it was on TV and it was probably 83, 84. Uh, and I just remember that vividly and I was sort of disturbed by that. And then I didn't see it. I don't remember seeing it all the way through. I always knew of it. And Arnold was like, you know, if you were a big 80s action fan, uh, for us as kids, it was it was like we said, either Stallone or Schwarzenegger. Who's your guy? Arnold was for sure my guy. I love Stallone, and yeah. I loved him then. But Arnold was my guy. I mean, between Commando, Terminator, and Predator, and Running Man, like that's you can't top those. So I right. mean, every yeah, basically the first ten movies or ten years of movies that that Arnie did were all like pretty big deals in my childhood yeah like, except maybe raw deal yeah that's the only one where yeah. i'm like do i remember that one but everything else like straight up from from destroyer because we've already established i didn't see barbarian but from destroyer until terminator 2 like i mean everything this guy did like i probably saw it 10 times oh yeah yeah i mean he's I don't know if it's arguable, but he was the number one star. Uh, it was between him and Stallone. They were number one and two stars of the 80s, yeah. box office-wise. And um, God, yeah, yeah, Raw Deal was probably the weak point of the 80s for him, followed by maybe Red Heat. I loved Red Heat as a kid, but saw it later on and was like, ooh, this one doesn't just yeah, but be good. It had big intentions, right? Yeah. I mean, that was, that was Jim Belushi, right? Or John... Jim Belushi. Jim, Jim Belushi right after real men. You yeah. Know? You know, I mean, so. like, it, like that was, they were trying to, not, they were trying to be a big deal with that. Oh one. yeah. Yeah. Like raw deal. Like I just am not exactly sure yet. Cause it's after commando it's before predator and predator, I think is really the, I mean, terminator obviously is the movie that, that kind of made him a big deal, but I yeah. think predator is really where it was like, that's where he solidified his top billing kind of, status mm -hmm. and so um yeah i don't know what they're in uh, you know i don't know what they were hoping to get out of him for for raw deal but i think for sure with with red heat it was meant to be like a blockbuster that didn't i don't know that it necessarily hit but it was you know i mean it's jim jim belushi yeah and you know arnold was never known for his acting prowess but as he progressed through the 80s, you, you could see a progression, especially with Predator. You can see like like he's his performance in Predator. You completely buy it like you buy that he's scared and run. You know, he's on the run from this uh, from from the Predator itself and really good performance there. And of course, in Terminator 2 and, and True Lies, you know, there are movies where he's his acting is better and better. Um, you know, it's still formulating. And for sure here it's nowhere near where it would would get uh yeah. but yeah, everything absolutely. everything starts with really with conan 
this is really the true beginning for him. Even though, yes, he'd been he'd acted in a few films uh, prior to this. Nothing really. I think it was the villain and what was it Hercules in New York, where he's right. completely dubbed over. Uh, yeah. So he does, and I, I, God, he appears in uh the oh i just forgot the name of it but the elliot gould uh robert altman film the long goodbye long goodbye yeah you- long goodbye classic so absolutely but i mean it's there's no there's no doubt and and no arguing that you know it's this character that got him the role in terminator which really like sprung him into you know the the trajectory to become this big like kind of action action star right yeah, absolutely. This opened the door for Terminator and Terminator is what made him the star that he became. And he followed that up immediately with Commando and Predator that were, that were just like hit after hit after hit and yeah. satisfying that 80s Reagan, you know, thirst that uh, people wanted action at that point. And, and he was certainly delivering it. But yeah, yeah again, we haven't it, even it, mentioned Total Recall. I mean, Total Recall. Well, yeah, that's 1990, I think, or 91. 90. 90, yeah. yeah. I mean, I didn't even realize Twins was 88. I, I would have I said, know. like, isn't that like 91 ish, like around Terminator? But like, nope. That, yep. was, that was his first foray into goofing around. Kind of comedy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was what? It was Twins and Running Man in 88 together. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm trying to remember what, what his 1989 film was, but Total Recall well, was 90. So Running Man was 87, but Red Heat and Twins was 88. And then Total Recall, yeah. Kindergarten Cop uh, were 90. And then Terminator 2 and 91. And then, you know, he takes a few years off and before hitting Last Action Hero. I guess he was in Dave as well, but I don't remember him. And in- Oh, that's probably like a cameo, essentially. Yeah. He so- was in Dave? Oh, that's yeah, right. Because he's an actor. He must have. He must have. Because Dave's like- an actor, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, he was right. He was riding the Terminator Two train for a while, right? Like sure. doing all sorts of. Like, well, they did the game, right? The game, and then the the, the ride, game, and then and then there's like Guns and Roses, like music videos, and then there's like the the action thing that they did at Universal for a little bit, and like you know, kind of all sorts of stuff tied into that. And so he doesn't really get back into movies until '93 uh, with Last Last Action Hero, which. You know, maybe that pause. I don't know. We've t- did we have we talked about Last Action Hero? No, I mean, we should. We should. I think we've mentioned it, but we've yeah, mentioned it a couple times. Yeah, I have not seen that since then, and I'm actually. I just rewatched it like, I don't know, a week and a half ago, and I hadn't seen it probably for twenty years, and it's way underrated. That's what I keep hearing. So now I'm really excited to see it. I feel like there's an Arnold movie. I, I, I watched it in pieces and kind of like wasn't into it. And now I feel like there's this hidden gem there that I've I've forgotten about that I'm really excited to see an, yeah. an Arnold movie that I don't remember. So, I mean, it's not like I I wouldn't put it in the upper echelon of of his movies, but it's definitely worth watching. It's entertaining. It's fun. You know, I think I think it got a lot of really, I don't know, bad reviews or for whatever reason, it didn't do well at all. And, uh, you know, it was kind of forgotten about, but I think for people who have not seen it, it's certainly worth going back and watching. Well, maybe in year four, which is coming up right around the corner, maybe we'll have to put that in the lineup and, uh, and check it out. But 
let's uh yeah so arnold's career has really skyrockets after this movie but let's let's dial it all the way back and we're gonna go way past 1981 now conan what is best in life to crush your enemies see them driven before you and to hear a lamentation of their women that is good. Let's talk about the origins of Conan and the history of Conan. And we're going to go all the way back to the 1920s with uh, the original writer, Robert E. Howard, who is a a, uh, a popular writer in the fantasy genre. Uh, He would he created the Conan character. And and John Milius used used to like to tell the story that uh, Robert Howard used to imagine Conan towering over him as he wrote with his axe like above his head ready to strike down if he didn't if his story wasn't worthy enough <laughs> yeah. well, so, uh, so pushing pushing him to continue on with the yeah with the yeah a lot of pressure that, yeah so he would write these short stories that he would sell to to magazines basically weird tales and and fight stories and action stories but those old pulp magazines uh, is, was was the true origin of Conan. Uh, he also created Call the Conqueror, Solomon Kane, a lot of those early action heroes. Uh, in 1932 uh, is when the first actual Conan story was written. He's a an adventurer. He uh, he's very cunning. He's got uh, incredible strength. He's intelligent, but yet he's brutal. Um, he and he lives by this moral code, and he worships the god Krom. Uh, he's he set the story in the Hyborian Age, which is a fictional era taking place between the sinking of Atlantis and the Mesopotamian era. So, I mean, he did this. It was really smart because you could set it on Earth, but yet not in a time of reality. So you can make these magical creatures and things happen and, and you still sort of buy the story without having to ground it in reality. Right. Yeah. Move. yeah yeah so it's it's like it it takes place on earth it takes place on earth it's not yeah. a foreign planet or a weird you know there's not there'd be regular animals there you know horses and camels and, and giant snakes well super giant snakes um so yeah it's kind of it's kind of a an easy easy way in because it's like it's, it's not all a super high fantasy it's it's fantasy uh, on earth well, it's always one of those things too, even with something like Game of Thrones, that it's Earth like, but not, but it might as well be. So right. Right. I think it was smart to just create an era where there were no people and make people and animals. And you could always come with some reason why they got wiped out and sort of started over again after that. It works for me. Makes me too. <laughs> and if it works for David, it works for everybody. So. Uh, 1936, though, uh, Robert Howard's mother, who is very close with, uh, falls into a coma that that she's not going to recover from, and he's devastated, and he ends up actually committing suicide over it, and uh, a really tragic uh, ending to his short life. He was only 30 years old when he died, yeah. and uh, apparently he had had a history of depression as well, yeah, like leading leading into it. So when his mom fell ill, like sounds like he was yeah. a little too much. 
Yeah, uh, but that wouldn't be the end of the Conan story. Uh, in, in the 1950s, other writers would start to come in and start writing uh, Conan stories based on some of Robert Howard's writings and some of new things that they were creating. Uh, this kind of goes all through the 50s and 60s. Uh, and in the 1960s, an artist named Frank Frazetta comes along and starts doing the artwork for these stories. And that Frank Frazetta's artwork, I'm sure some of those listening are familiar with it, is absolutely beautiful. Um, yeah. When you think of Conan, even if you've never seen the movie, the image that probably pops in your head is one of his paintings. They're beautiful, very realistic uh, paintings of these super muscular men and scantily clad women fighting beasts and, you know, <laughs> all, all things of that kind. So. Well, isn't the poster done in that style in his style? Absolutely. Like, yeah. Yeah. And there's several different posters too. All of them are taken, are lifted from specific Frank Rosetta images, too. Right. The uh so in nineteen in the 1970s, the early 70s, Marvel Comics gets the rights to it and starts producing. I think in 1970, they start the first Conan line. 1974, they start a second title. And those run all the way into the 90s. So that's, again, like starting the, the train, starting to leave the station. You know, the, the momentum starting to pick up on this story that could have died out in the 30s, but was resurrected and people were getting really getting into the fantasy genre in the 70s. So yeah, well, and, uh, and Marvel, I, I mean, just to chime in real quick, yeah. Marvel has just recently gotten the rights back to the comic, uh, you know, the publishing rights for the comic. And so they've started adding him back into um, the comic books. So like, he's actually in like a, like a mixed Avengers storyline right now where he's like teaming up with like Spider-Man and all sorts of people. Wow. That's that's rad. Yeah. <laughs> so he'll show he'll show up in the in the in the Marvel the MCU. Yeah. Soon enough. Oh my God! How awesome would that be in the next uh, Spider-Man movie if Conan is his buddy? Yeah. Right. <laughs> and too far. What's the next one? Like too can't get far home from or whatever. Home? Can't go think, home again. Something? I think it's can't get home or something like that. Yeah. Is the, is the third one. <laughs> that would be fantastic. <laughs> Well, in 1977, uh, a lot of the original Robert Howard stories started resurfacing and getting repackaged. And uh, along that, around that same time, in probably a couple of years before that, various producers were coming along trying to figure out how, hey, this Conan character is popular with kids. How can we make a, you know a film about it? How, how can you possibly like convert that into a shootable film? So there's ideas pitched around. Nothing really takes hold till Edward Summer, who is a, a screenwriter, approaches Edward R. Pressman, who's another uh, somewhat prolific film producer from the 70s. He's the guy who got uh, Brian De Palma started. He produced uh, Badlands. He produced Stallone's first, I think, directorial uh, or his directorial debut, Paradise Alley. Yeah. So, Terrence Malick as well, right? Like he yeah. was early with Terrence Malick. Yeah. Yeah. So he's a producer who was well known for giving people a chance and going after young talent who he would really get behind and believe in. And that's a really important piece to the puzzle of the creation of this movie and the, the birth of Arnold's real career, his film career. Uh, so 
the two of them kind of get together and start figuring out how to how to make this this story um and in 1975, they approach the estate of Robert Howard and, and uh, the owners of the, the rights about getting, getting the film rights. And it took him about two years of negotiations and going back and forth. And he spent about $100,000 just in, in that time frame just to get the rights to the movie. Wow. So... Uh, at the same time, he's got Paramount behind him. You know, he's also producing other films, so he's getting his own reputation is 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 strong. Uh, Paramount agrees to produce the movie, but only for a two point five million dollar budget. I don't. I don't. I mean, clearly, that wouldn't be doable for a movie like this. No. What you'd end up with is like what you got after Conan, which is all these cheap ripoffs in the early 80s that are just really low budget <laughs> that's how it would have turned out and thankfully they did not go that route <laughs> uh around the same time they hire oliver stone a very young oliver stone to write the script and oliver stone is coming off of midnight express and winning an oscar for that movie uh in 1979 yeah. so a very different oliver stone than what we would know and grow up with yeah right his version was much different than the version that ultimately got made though yeah totally different it's set in the future it's not set in the distant past it's It's like a a Mm post-apocalyptic pretty much unproducible version of of the movie yeah absolutely it's it's uh i think it's like ten thousand years in the future and he's fighting like hordes of zombies and just a completely different Conan, and and they estimated the the budget was going to be about forty million. So oh it jumped from two point five to forty million. And at this point, Oliver Stone is sort of, I think he's had different periods of being, let's just say, high intensity, and this is one of them. Uh, John right. Milius said that that. Uh, you know, it's well known Oliver Stone had has had drug problems. Yeah, he was and, he was having a lot of drug problems. Then. Yeah, right. a lot and of cocaine. A lot of mil- cocaine. Oh yeah, yeah. That's that that was his thing. Yeah, all the way into the nineties. Uh, but Milius had said that Stone's script was like a drug induced fever dream, like it, <laughs> the things just didn't make sense. But it was yet it was sort of hypnotizing, and you couldn't like put it down in a way. And there was some solid ideas in there and ultimately we'll, we'll come back to those, but an Oliver Stone, I don't know. I kind of would like to see that now, now that we got the other versions of Conan, what would Oliver Stone's version be? Someone take that script and just make it now. Right. You will have to do it. Conan 3000 or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Who would be Conan? Who would you cast as Conan today? I mean, Uh, um, don't you uh, don't you have to cast Jason Momoa? But, <laughs> no, think, oh wait, uh, never mind. That that happened. That <laughs> happened. Yeah, he really is Conan. I mean, you look at him and Momoa. Yeah. Oh yeah. But is they tried the, it and didn't work. See the guy went, from I, Game Did of you Thrones? see it? Did you see that movie? No, I I I was loyal to the original, so it's not bad. <laughs> I mean, it's not great, but it's not bad. Yeah. It's fun. He does good. He's good. You would, you would think that with, I don't know, with with the budgets now and the history of Conan, that you could really make that 
sort of in a fun way. Yeah. They'd probably make the rock Conan now just because that guy's unstoppable. Yeah. He's a little, I think he's a little, a little old. too old, a little too old. Now the rock and, 10 years ago, for sure. And he can't do the flowing locks. You're right. No, then the wig is going to be the wig on the rock is that's not going to fly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Henry Cavill. Is that the guy's name? Henry, sure. Super Superman. Superman? Maybe, yeah. Maybe he could, I don't know. He's kind of old now. What about he's not what that about, old. What about Ryan Reynolds? Just throw Ryan Reynolds in there. He does sure. everything else. Yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah, I I'm think sh- I I think something like this is you're right. It's like if you did it not so serious, not so straight, you could have you could have an interesting Conan project. Um but you know, if you try to really stay true to the source material, no one's really into it. No, no one's into it now and I think you've seen that stuff so many times before that you have to I would I would think like if you injected some deadpool kind of humor you know not like a satire but like i don't know just some kind of yeah some wit and cleverness to it yeah Yeah. Yeah. you could do something people would like but what do i know um all right so but rewinding we're we're back with uh oliver stone's script and uh at the same time they're starting the casting process and they're looking for who who on earth could possibly be Conan. Well, they found him, Arnold Schwarzenegger, as we mentioned uh, in the 1977 documentary "Pumping Iron." Which have, have you guys seen "Pumping Iron"? Clips. No. Yeah, Just I saw clips. it a, a long time ago, and and there's you know there's some crazy stuff going on in that movie, and uh, I think now probably wouldn't have let some of that stuff get out, but uh, but it's a pretty solid documentary and. You know, of course, the main element is this is revealing Arnold Schwarzenegger to the world. And uh, he was a five time Mr. Universe at the time of the, you know, before this movie was made. He's a six time Mr. Olympia. Uh, He's got this great look, this personality, this good smile. He's charming. Um, Sure, his accent is super thick, but. (laughs) (laughs) But the personality and the look really. You know, I, I can't see anyone else being being Conan, and neither could they. So they are trying to to sort of woo him into a film career, which he's more than happy to dive into. Um, they've also hired Ron Cobb, who is a, a product as production designer, who is coming off of uh, the design work for Alien. So, you know, another incredibly talented artist and a really important player in the making of this film that. You know, you don't, I don't know. It's one of those things that until now I didn't really think about the production design, but it really did such an important job of setting the tone for this movie and setting the reality uh, of Conan's world and, and just putting you in that universe. Yeah. I was impressed with the, with these, the design, the, the size and scale of it, you know, and it's shot. So, so interesting. Uh, and, you know, it takes advantage of the outdoor landscapes and everything like that and it's like and then they're building like this crazy shit i'm like oh my god like that that wheel of pain or whatever and you first see it i'm like that's gigantic like that's humongous and it's just a wheel (laughs) it's just a wheel like it doesn't even seem to have a function like i'm like what does it do (laughs) yeah Uh, they're not really clear about that but it's got to be it's got to be drawing water up from something i mean i can't imagine it's anything else but 
and he he pushed it for like 20 years <laughs> or that transition years. from the boy to arnold yeah that's one of those just magical movie moments yeah <laughs> everybody all the other kids drop and disappear for whatever you know they're either dead or get pulled off of that but he single-handedly moves the wheel of pain and through yeah. that becomes the the body of uh the embodiment <laughs> <Yeah>. of arnold <laughs> yeah yeah i'd say seeing it for the first time just recently there's there's a handful of those really magical movie moments <laughs> in the movie yeah yeah we're we're gonna get there so uh they've got arnold basically on board they've got a designer they're starting to put the elements together to make this movie but that budget is is too much for paramount to to handle and they walk off the project so edward r pressman's trying to find uh, new financing for the film trying to find a director and uh he approaches john milius who I think we mentioned back in our Apocalypse Now episode was, I think, the only time we've really brought him up. But another key player in the 70s New Hollywood movement that I tout and love so much on this on this uh, show. Uh, he was uh, a writer that was a good, good friends with Francis Ford Coppola and George Lucas was uh, was influenced influential in the development of apocalypse now and what that was originally going to be you can hear that in our episode on the film back in our archives at www.reconcinimation.com but he's kind of the perfect person to direct this movie he's a hunter he's really into the military and weapons yeah very Um, military minded yeah he's a marksman an expert marksman and um you know very he's a very masculine writer he wrote the first two Dirty Harry films. That's Dirty Harry. Red and Dawn. Red, well, Red Dawn's after. The Red yeah, Dawn's going to be his follow-up, but yeah. <laughs> don't go forgetting it. Oh, I'll, I won't. That movie's coming up in our future. Uh, <laughs> what else did he write? Jeremiah Johnson, Dillinger. Uh, and he's coming off of Big Wednesday, which is a surfing movie, but um, one that's sort of a, a passion project for him. But another big movie that he did in the, in the late 70s was The Wind and the Lion with Sean Connery. And that movie is a lot more along the lines of Conan, that it's a big sort of epic grand film, uh, also sort of, you know, desert based. And uh, it's a really excellent film. So uh, but he's you know, they're, they're going after him to direct this. And he says no at first. But once he starts seeing Ron Cobb's. Uh, you know, work that he's developing and, and also looking back at Frank Frazetta's artwork, he starts to get it and starts to see, all right, maybe we can make something here, but not with uh, uh, this Oliver Stone script. <laughs> so uh, so he steps in and reworks Stone's script, um, take just only re- really holding on to a few elements and morphing it into what we would see. Uh, at the same time, he's also under contract to Dino De Laurentiis for his next film. And Dino is one of the top international producers for decades and uh, comes into the project and makes a deal with Pressman to buy the rights. Uh, he's going to give Pressman four, I think $4.5 million, 10% of the gross and creative control of the project still. And, but he would let go. That's the only money he's going to get. There's, there's nothing else on top of that, but that's a pretty sweet deal for Pressman. Yeah, I think he said he made more money off of not making Conan than 
he did making any actual movie. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Dino comes in and, and, and that secures John Milius. And they're sort of now they're really ready to make this movie with this new packaging. They approach Universal, who agrees to finance the film for, I think it's 16 million at first. And that eventually balloons to about 20 million. And then about 12 for advertising on top of it, which which they would need and would be very key here. So uh, now they're ready to make the film. Arnold is on board. Arnold is in training for like 18 months. <clears throat> He's uh, He goes from his Mr. Universe body and slims down from about 240 pounds to 210. He drops that thir- 30 pounds of muscle and adds some stamina and speed and a little more flexibility so that he could do some of these stunt sequences on his own. And the last piece is his, uh, his getting a dialogue coach, a dialect coach to work with him and start shedding some of that thick Austrian accent that, that he had. Uh, Have you guys seen that Hercules in New York film? Uh, Clips. (laughs) It's hearing him just completely dubbed wow it's just shocking like that that is it's It's funny it makes the movie hilarious i mean you can't take it seriously at all oh yeah so all right how do you you guys feel about arnold uh being being the lead you think there was anybody else who could have played conan nope I don't know. I don't know. I wouldn't know who was the who were, who were like the biggest, you know, guys then. Well, like, there really wasn't anybody. I mean, you'd, right? you'd have to get somebody else like him. But I mean, think about the stars of the 70s. Nobody had that a body, anything like that. I mean, yeah. your, your main stars were what? Warren Beatty and Jack Nicholson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Redford. And yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. The, I mean, at the time, there wasn't a better person to cast for sure. Right. I mean, it had to be someone no name and it had to be someone that was larger than life and massive and like had a physique that was kind of unattainable by normal human standards. Like it just wasn't, you know, he was he was the right guy for the job. Well, would you have I I don't know. What about uh, what about Stallone? Could you see Stallone as Conan? He's like I mean, he's fit like you see him in in uh, First Blood. Right. And he's definitely like trim and cut. But like. Conan needs to be like able to move worlds, right? And mm-hmm. I don't see that from Stallone in his, you know, in his and his physique, right? I mean, Arnold was massive. Yeah. Well, and you think about Stallone, you know, when we're talking where we're at probably right now is 1980. So yeah, Stallone looks like he does in Rocky 2. Rocky three, which is really where he would reveal that ripped body mm-hmm. isn't until 1982. So, yeah, you know, maybe if he had that, if he was cut like that in the late seventies, maybe it would have gone to him and he was already a name actor. So I could have seen if his body looked like it did in Rocky three at this point, I, I think they may have gone after him and, and that might've been a good move. I, I could, I could see him playing this character. It doesn't seem like completely out of line. It works better for Arnold, but uh, I could see Stallone in it. Sure. Yeah, I guess so. I guess, yeah, I guess there's really no other comparison. Yeah, I don't made. know. I like. I hear your argument, but I just I have a hard time honestly seeing anybody but Arnold do it. Yeah, probably just because 
you know, I mean, well, it's, yeah, I mean, we're so used to it. It's so ingrained yeah. in our, our brains. It's like seeing somebody else's Rambo. Like, you, you just can't. Right. Uh, all right. So casting begins. We've got a lot of other actors uh, in this in this film. We've got Sandal Bergman as Valeria. Do you want to live forever? Now she's coming off of uh, she's coming off a recommendation from Bob Fosse. Uh, she was in All That Jazz, and incredibly, she wins a Golden Globe for her performance in this film. Golden Globe, nice. Golden Globe. For her performance in this film. In Conan the Barbarian, she won. This is her sort wow. of career high as far as awards recognition goes. Who, who is she against? Who? Oh, that I don't know. I'd have to. We'd have to look that up. But interesting mm-hmm. to see. Might you know? It's interesting to see some of those awards uh, from the old days. How films have aged and who should have won. But uh, but good for her and. She's really cast as she's tall and, um, you know, cast to kind of pair with Arnold. And you think they make a, a, a good on screen couple? Do you buy it? Uh, yeah, no, I think I, yeah, I totally get it. Once they're, they're together and everything. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, they're a nice team. Because Valeria is supposed to be, her character is supposed to be the equivalent of Conan. She's as strong and as skilled as him. Yeah. No, I'd buy it. Yeah, yeah. I suppose. Uh, yeah, it works. I mean, I think, you know, I don't know. All, all the performance in this movie are a little, uh, I don't know, shaky, I yeah. guess. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm not buying into a whole bunch of it, but I suppose it works. I mean, I think that not to, you know, jump around a lot, but I like, so, you know, for Red Sonia, they used Bridget Nielsen to pair, mm-hmm. pair against him. I could have seen that, you know, like had she been discovered, because I think that was her first movie at the time. Like, I think that works better. And, and um, you know, uh, Sa- Sandal was in Red Sonia as well, which is kind of interesting. But... Oh, was she? I, I totally forgot. I haven't seen Red Sonia since I was like, five or six so yeah she plays she plays kind of the main uh villain uh, lady the main villain queen in red sonia that's right that's right oh uh, a big conan reunion yeah i know <laughs> and so uh but yeah i would uh you know i she wasn't available she was not known about at that at that time yeah. so i think i think it works for sure but i don't know what other female actors at the time could it you know like compared like could have matched up well right so yeah i i i agree i I don't know who could have done the role at the time i will i'm gonna throw a name out there that i've mentioned before we've talked about her in our mortal Kombat episode had she been discovered by this point cynthia rothrock who is a like the number one female action star more of the nine like late 80s and 90s yeah she would have been badass as uh, Valeria, yeah. yeah. But a little, a little ahead of her time. So, yeah, there weren't a lot of female actors at the time playing characters like Xena, Warrior Princess, and things yeah. like that. So, yeah, I think she, I think she works for the for the film, but I think it would have been cool to see uh, Nielsen in that in that role too. Yeah, I think I think going back to what you mentioned earlier. 
there is are different levels of acting skill in this film. And that, <laughs> that was glaring to me this time. Yeah. I, you know, I hadn't really thought about it like that before because I haven't watched this in 20 years, but watching it this time, like huge difference between when a Max von Sydow oh or a James Earl Jones walks on the screen and starts speaking versus everyone else. Yeah, when when I mean, absolutely, it's like a slap in the face. Yeah, when when Sydow shows up and you're like, oh yeah, this guy's really good. This is called acting. Let me yeah. show you how to do it. Yeah, it's incredible. And really, as a James matter of fact, like it's it's when he comes into the movie that I actually get invested in the movie. Up and like when I was watching it this time through, I was not enjoying it very much. And then, and then he shows up, does his scene and then I'm in it. Like I like it. And I mean, I, I lose, it loses me again a little later on, but there's like a nice big chunk of time where I'm like, oh, okay, this is like, I'm, this set a good tone and I'm, I'm into it. Well, he kind of brings the every he, he makes you pay attention and like gives them a mission, you know, like absolutely, like, yeah. He connects gives them direction and yeah, because it's and it's not like the it wasn't it wasn't like it wasn't directionless or something, but they, it was kind of meandering in terms of what these what what they're up to. So it's a lot of world building going on at first, and then it's like, okay, here, go do this for me, <laughs> and uh, uh, you know, yeah, he brings he brings it together for you, I think. So yeah. that's uh, yeah, I think I I. I didn't watch it in one sitting, like because I was really bored by the first hour, and same. then I I paused it essentially at his introduction. Uh, exactly so, the same. So same. I I didn't realize like where it was going to go. So then I because it's about an hour in, and then yeah. uh, <clears throat> and then when I came back and then you know finished it, it was like oh it's like at least I could I was enjoying the second half more so than the first. Yeah, the things that interested me the most in the first hour that we were watching was one. James Earl Jones, long hair. I thought that was incredible. <laughs> and and that opening scene when James Earl Jones is introduced in his little henchman, I was like, oh, Spinal Tap is here. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, like that first hour is like rough to get through, I, I feel like. Yeah, well, this, this movie covers so much. I mean, you could... You could almost make what the events that happen in this movie into like a like what they're doing now, like limited series. There's so many things that happen from his youth and and his what happens to his uh, you know his village and then his years as being tortured and then he's a, like a pit fighter and then the escape and then the wandering and and before yeah. all of that, like before he gets this mission that is really what the rest of the movie's about. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, Netflix is working on that right now, like trying to a make a, a Conan show. Yeah, they they had a press release in September of last year where they're talking about, you know, they at least bought the rights to do mm -hmm. it. So I don't I don't know if it's in production or not, but they're well, they're... Netflix. My recommendation, since you were asking for it, is take your time. Let's make a good story yeah. here. Don't rush into it. We got plenty of time. No, no one needs Conan like right find now. Find the right, find the right lead. Find don't, the right guy. Don't find the right story. Effort. There's, there's hundreds of Conan tales to be told. So, take your time. Signed, John. <laughs> JD. And envelope and stamp mailing.
Yeah. Uh, Candle okay. wax seal. <laughs> yeah. seal. The reconcinimation logo on the seal mailbox. Um, so yeah, Max von Sydow though, what a what a great actor, and of course we lost him this year, and so many great performances. And this seems like one he would just have fun with. It's it's one scene, you know. He did the movie because his son was a fan of the of the comics. Graphic novel, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's I don't know. I think that was really cool. Kind of like Donald Pleasance taking Halloween, right, right. Uh, but we only have him in the one scene. But we've also got. You know, another legend, James Earl Jones. There was a time, boy, when I searched for steel. And steel meant more to me than gold or jewels. I, this feels like his, really his return to on-screen acting. He had been in a number of roles in the 60s. Uh, then I think he morphed into more of a theater person. And of course, as we all know, the voice of Darth Vader but I, I don't really remember him seeing him on camera a lot in the seventies. I certainly wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah. <I don't. laughs> so this is, this marks his sort of transition back to, to acting on camera. Of course, you know, the James Earl Jones we think of is like the field of dreams, uh, clear and present danger kind of looking uh, of James Earl Jones and, he would play that sort of lovable, you know, big bear of a man the whole like rest of his career. Mufasa. But Mufasa. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I loved him as Thalsa Doom. I thought he was, I thought he was a fantastic villain. There's those guys, there's those actors that you're so used to seeing uh, as, as the hero, as like the, like a good or a good guy, a good person, a lovable character, that when you see him play these these supervillains, sometimes it just means a lot more because it's so unlike what they usually do. Like if Tom Hanks were to play a villain, and I have my own ideas about what roles he could play, like it's really going to stand out. You know, you're... You're uh, Henry Fonda in Once Upon a Time in the West. Another amazing performance for a guy who was always the good guy. Like Jimmy Stewart, always the good guy. And then to turn around and play this supervillain. Just just really great, great choice. How yeah, did you, you guys buy him? I mean, I you know, again, his introduction, I was taken aback by his hair, which was pristine a, w- a wig <laughs> yeah so so that that it took me a minute it you know I, i'm not gonna pretend that that didn't take me out of it for a second but i was after after kind of getting it getting my head wrapped around it it was um you know that opening scene where he kills young conan's like family you know that shit's brutal man like he, yeah straight up cuts his mom's head off in front of like, yeah, that sets a tone, you know, yeah. that's not the friendly uh, James Earl Jones, the lovable, you know, bear, as you, as you put it, you know, I mean, it's, it was brutal, you know, and something about the blue eye, you know, I like, I like the just stone cold face and the blue eyes. Like, yeah, that works really well. I don't love the hair, but you know, it's a thing in the movie, but the blue eyes then just, really no emotion at all in the performance is like 
straight up killer. That's the key for me was that, that the, that those icy eyes and, you know, knowing what was going on behind them. It just, I I think that's what stood out uh, that, especially that look where he kills Conan's mother, you know, where he's just sort of like, is he going to just like, is he going to let her go? Is he going to just take, you know, take them captive? But the way he just is eyeing her and just kind of his eyes follow her. And then he spins and, decapitates her it's yeah (laughs) un james earl jones like that spin was a little funny too i was (laughs) like maybe it's maybelline (laughs) (laughs) it's a pert plus commercial (laughs) yeah it was very finesse or whatever 80s hair products there were back then no but there's there's a a lot of the scenes where he's I, i don't know i just i really i found him very menacing i i enjoyed him as a villain here yeah, I mean, later on when, I mean, there's, so later on when when uh, Conan gets caught at the, at the temple or whatever, and they, and they're kind of torturing him, like, and he's just towering over him, like yelling at him. And, and you know, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, he's great. I mean, Jim Joel Jones great. He certainly got a presence and that voice uh, adds a lot to it for sure. Yeah. Yep. There's, there's great speechifying moments like good dialogue and and conversation and speeches and stuff in this where because it's most of the lot of the film is like no dialogue right like yeah it's the narration yeah you get a narration and then you're you're just sort of watching things happen uh around conan like you know arnold doesn't speak a lot in the film um and i don't know if that's on purpose or what because but the whole movie seems to be that it's just a lot of like uh, uh dialogue free moments um spread throughout so like when the when the characters are actually talking to each other and getting into stuff it, it it's it, i think they're really meaty kind of scenes so i mean especially when you have von cito and and james Earl jones but um but even with uh with uh, valeria and everything great stuff yeah well john milius knows how to write dialogue and yeah. you're right there isn't a lot in it but the you know few scenes where there are sort of speeches I mean, it's not, uh, he's not phoning it in. This is, it's, it's good quality stuff there. Yeah. They're really, really well put together. Like, you know, discussions or speeches or whatever. Uh, we've also got Jerry Lopez in the film who is, uh, plays his sidekick, Conan's sidekick, Subotai, uh, who's a surfer. He was also not an actor. So you got a number of people who are not actors <laughs> coming in this movie. But yeah. he was in uh, Big Wednesday with John Milius and uh, was part of the team here. Uh, Mako, who is, uh, you know, I think we've seen in a ton of movies throughout the 80s. And I know I, I forgot which film it's for, but I know he'd won an Oscar before this. Um, he is the wizard. His character is a little bit silly to me, you yeah. know, a little ridiculous. And of course, he's the one character that returns for the sequel. So Brent, yeah. I'm sure you know him very I, well. I did. And I actually, he was kind of a pleasant sight to see in this movie when he did pop up, I feel like at that, at that camp in, in the, in the desert. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I liked him. Although I will have to say, I, this, so, you know, he also plays the narrator and um, you know, that narration is like, sprinkled throughout the movie and it's often pretty I feel like heavy-handed and it makes me feel like okay so there was certainly 
I think an aversion for letting audiences sit in in the theater and and just quietly watching, you know, kind of vistas and things like that because they felt they had to like throw this kind of narration in anytime there were these traveling scenes. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I didn't really care for that. I liked seeing him in that scene, but like the narration stuff, aside from like the bookends at the beginning and end of the movie, I thought were like, I don't, I didn't really care for it. Yeah, I agree this time. Uh, you know, it, it hadn't bothered me before, but this time I, I was into the beginning setting it up and the end for sort of wrapping it up, but everything in between I felt like was, you know, was unnecessary. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think they're doing a lot to minimize Arnold's speaking. Yeah, I mean, so I get it. Yeah, you have other people saying some of his dialogue. You have long scenes without dialogue just to really cut down. You know, it was a big thing with Universal that like they felt like nobody could understand him. So they redubbed some of it. It was a lot of time spent to, you know, cut down his accent. Mm-hmm. But uh, but we've got a couple of uh, Arnold's pals here uh, who show up in one of which who shows up in almost every Arnold movie for years and years and years. And that's Sven Oli Thorson, who is in <laughs> the running. I mean, you, you see him and immediately recognize him. He's in Predator, The Running Man, uh, Kindergarten Cop. He's in Total Recall. Yeah. He's in Batman and Robin. I mean, uh, I don't remember if he's in True Lies, but uh, he's in most of them. And he was, I think Arnold's like childhood friend that he right. brought along with him. Good for him. That's cool. Yeah. And then, and then he's he's paired with Ben Davidson, right? Rexor. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Those. That's Spinal Tap. That's who I'm talking about when I say <laughs> Spinal Tap made the made the movie. <laughs> um, John Milius would call those guys the the Great Danes. That was his nickname for him. That <laughs> apparently they were a bunch of pranksters on set too. So that uh, I heard, you know, I read that it was pretty fun times. Yeah, that stuff. Uh, when you're under the pressure of making these films, sometimes that stuff is actually much needed to, you know, just kind of break the ice and bring some levity to the uh, the production process, which can get very overwhelming a lot of the time. Well, yeah, and I like so apparently everybody was or the majority of the people in the movie were doing their own stunts, and there were a lot of you know injuries and and close calls, and yeah. so uh, you know certainly if you've got that looming over your head, I think one of the first scenes that Arnold was in, you know, he ended up like getting a pretty bad gash and had to have you know, stitches and, and a bunch of stuff done. And so, you know, yeah, I think it was like the first scene that he shot yeah. that he, yeah. yeah, he got hurt. That's a good, that's a good sign. That's how <laughs> yeah. you want to start it out. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, having, you know, as long as people are being safe, but having, having, uh, that, like you said, that levity on set, it's gotta help. So they started uh, filming the movie in the UK at Shepard and Studios in October 1980. And then they moved over to, uh, they were going to shoot in Yugoslavia for the rest of the film, but instead there's some political stuff going on there. So not safe to shoot, moved the production to Spain in January of 1981, which I think was a great choice because that's those vistas, like you were mentioning, We've seen those before. I mean, those are these are the spaghetti westerns were done between Italy and Spain. A lot of them were done in Spain, though. So uh, we know that look, and I think that spaghetti western kind of vibe 
was really important to mix in here. So, you know, with, with views like that, you don't need a lot of fancy cinematography between, you know, just sometimes good cinematography is just letting the environment speak for itself. And I think that was a key element here, along with Ron Cobb's production design, that between the two, there wasn't, you know, you didn't need a lot of these crazy camera moves and lighting designs. Just let it talk, let it speak for itself. Yeah. And maybe don't put the narration over it. <laughs> okay. Copy that. Uh, they spent a lot of money on these swords. They spent about a hundred thousand on, on just a few copies of, of really the two swords that his father's sword from the beginning. And then, uh, the sword that he takes from, uh, Krom when he, what he believes is Krom that he finds his skeleton. Yeah. And he takes the sword. That first sword that they made at the beginning could cut through an engine block. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what they were. That's what. The rumors coming out of the coming out of the the production. Come on, the rumor I, mill. No, that's what I read. Like, the, I mean, I guess it was never tested, but that's what they were saying. <laughs> it could cut through an engine. Well, I was like, mm, why would you spend that much money on it? Yeah, right. <laughs> if you got such a little budget, why are you spending so much money on? Anyway, I wonder where those swords are now. I wonder who's what collector has them or does the studio does universal have them in the their archives somewhere yeah Ooh. arnold's probably not you know he doesn't have them he but i bet have. he knows betty betty knows where they are let's call him let's get an yeah. intern calling him all right i'm on it <laughs> uh another another way that they made these sets look bigger than they truly were is they did a lot of forced perspective shots so um, they did a lot of practical effects. They didn't do, you know, even for the sort of, I guess, somewhat primitive compared to today's uh, visual effects. Uh, they didn't use a lot of that stuff. It was all practical, uh, mechanical effects, the old school way. And these forced perspectives, like the steps for the Temple of Set, uh, which is Thulsa Doom's temple. You know, they built the steps, which were beautiful looking, but that temple itself was really just, it's the way they shot it, kind of like Lord of the Rings did, that it's mm -hmm. much more relying on forced perspective than to build these even bigger, giant, expensive sets uh, when their budget is already starting to, to push it. So really, I think a smart move that that paid off as well. Um, like you mentioned, everybody uh, mo performed most of their own stunts. All of them got hurt. Uh, Sandal Bergman got her finger almost cut off by an extra who was not, you know, wielding a sword safely. And Arnold got, uh, when Arnold is tied up on the tree of woe and he bites the vulture, uh, that was a mechanical vulture, but they did put real parts of a dead vulture like the feathers from a dead vulture and and i i think the neck was where he bites is actually removed from an actual dead vulture and he got super sick afterwards oh my god no surprise yeah. <laughs> least surprising thing of the movie yeah oh <laughs> <Ugh>, gross <laughs> biting dead carcasses for making hey, movies he was all in arnold was all in on this one yeah but, uh, okay, so now I want to talk about the themes of the movie and kind of what, what 
you know, what they're going for here and whether that works today, you know, what they were intending versus how it, how it plays now, if, if all that uh, still holds up. So, you know, one of the things that they talk about that, that Thulsa Doom talked about is power. So the, a lot of the movie is about power and is it the, you know, the riddle of steel? Is it the power of steel itself or is it the power of the person who wields it? So what, what, what do you guys, you guys think it ends up with the power of Conan is the true power or is he, does he represent steel itself? It's a tough question. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. He's uh, I mean, I think, I think it, it's one of those things where it's like, there's no right answer. Right. But you know, Conan is one type of strength and, and Fulsa Dunes, you know, power of, of people of flesh is, is, like that's his perspective, you know, and uh, you know, like they're competing forces. So it's, it's hard. You can't say which one's right. You know, it just, it's right. a matter of like how it's wielded and what you're, what, what you're using your power to do where you can maybe make a, a choice of what's right, you know, in a moral stance. But uh, yeah. So, you know, Conan sort of wields the steel uh, uh to well, he, he seeks revenge really more than anything not really like you know he didn't he didn't set out to to find Thulsa Dune until he was like put in front of his bath so right um you know he could have he could have tried to get his revenge anytime but it wasn't until he had the opportunity anyway um so yeah I mean I, I like the idea of like this these competing powers you know uh trying to like kind of come out on top yeah, it, to, to me, it felt like what's really going on here is sort of like Reaganism versus like the Jim Jones kind of cult, you know, phenomenon that was that had happened, uh, you know, or or Hitler and the Nazis that, you know, what is real control? What it what is it? Is it just the dominance by weapons and and strength, which is what Conan's all about? Uh, steel and 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 literally muscle strength versus the control of you know flesh of of controlling other people and manipulating them and getting them to believe in what you're saying and what you're doing and they'll do anything they'll do whatever you say when they do when they follow you like that so I, I saw a huge correlation between this and the and Jim Jones yeah except he wasn't serving Kool Aid. No Kool-Aid for Thalsa Doom, the, the Doomers. Uh, I don't know. And of course, like, I also felt like there's a, there's a U.S. versus the Soviet thing, uh, uh, you know, underlying theme here that, you know, yeah. Arnold, while he's not American, sort of represents that American idealism and freedom versus, you know, dominance and control that the Soviets had at the time. Mm, yeah yeah you can make that that argument absolutely yeah and i think you touched on it with like the nazism and stuff like that i mean that's why like ron cobb was using um you know the serpent emblem kind of all over the place that was supposed to kind of be you know and uh kind of a way to point back to you know this this swastika from the from the nazis and things like that yeah there's like an identifiable symbol that you know you can rally behind. Yeah. 
yeah, recognizable. And that's, yeah, that's what Conan sees and, and remembers that that was the, that was the symbol of the group that, you know, wrecked his village and killed his family and, and, uh, you know, changed his life forever. Uh, what about death and rebirth? Those are, those are, I mean, those are common themes in this film over and over, you know, Conan is reborn multiple times in this movie. He's, you know, he's a child, he's stolen as a child and he's enslaved becomes this pit fighter, but then he's freed kind of, he doesn't really do anything to gain his freedom. It's given to him, Mm -hmm. but he's sort of born again, but not really sort of aimless without, without a mission. And then when he, you know, he sort of finds himself when he finds the, the tomb of, of Krom and finds the sword. And when he emerges from that pit, uh, he is, he is Conan, but then he gets captured and tortured to death and reborn yet again, literally like his spirit and soul were saved. Well, isn't that when he comes back and he's like, he is Conan. Yeah. Like, like he's still kind of, he's the mortal, he's the mortal vessel until then. And now he's something more, right? Yeah. Now he's like that. That's when he's fully formed. So there's sort of what, like three or four phases of Conan throughout this movie. Right. Which is interesting that, that, you know, it's like I was, what's that? It's an origin story. It, well, of course it is. Yeah. But it's an origin story plus other stories. So going back to what I was saying earlier, like it feels like this could have been a couple of movies on its own that you could have stretched out or, or kind of mix some of this up somehow that there's, I think that probably would have helped with some of the stuff that I was getting bumped with for sure. Yeah. Cause it seemed like there was an awful lot of, leaps that were made in certain areas and i was like well okay i guess we're just gonna roll with the punches but i would have liked to have seen more explanation you know and and kind of um i mean i know that they had to kind of make it succinct and get to get to the point but it it does seem to like kind of just leap and jump and jump and jump yeah yeah it is it it does kind of bounce around it feels like uh, I wonder, I don't know, but did you have like, overall, did you have fun with the movie at all? Do you take it seriously? What, what kind of direction did you go? Well, I like David watched the first hour and I was not exactly impressed by the first hour. So I was having a rough go and was not super excited about watching the second half. And then, but I was fortunate enough that the second half picks up with the seed out part. And that like, I, I really liked that and I got into it. And from that point on up until basically the final kind of like showdown, I was really into it. And I, I just didn't, I wasn't a big fan of the final, the final showdown, but the uh, like, I liked that whole storytelling third, you know, where they're, where they're kind of going from, from um, getting the 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 mission to to you know Conan basically being reborn as the as the super barbarian. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with you. It, it felt 
there's a certain slowness to the beginning of it for sure that especially from when he's the pit fighter to you know the gladiator to when we we meet Max von Sydow there that's it, it feels very aimless and where is the story going what's happening you well know, and there's is- just a lot of weird like they're not really montages but it's like weird narration over over like oh and so they brought ladies for conan they bred him and yeah and i'm like this is just awkward and i wasn't really just into it and then um i mean i guess when they get to the first uh heist part like that is you know where they go into the snake pit and yeah like that was okay, but then I don't know. Like afterwards, there's a whole bunch of like random orgies that are like yeah. thrown into this movie that I'm yeah. just like, okay, I don't. Is that like what's the point? You know, like I mean, I understand in the '80s, like it was different. Kind of, you're trying to, I guess, use everything you can to bring bring people into the box or into the into the movie. But like, I just didn't really care for a lot of that stuff. So, um. And I thought it was kind of heavy handed. So it wasn't until they got to the mission part where I was like, really felt like it finally took shape and, and made sense to me. And I could follow along in a more narrative fashion and was able to, to enjoy it. But. Yeah. Yeah. Same, same situation with me there. Yeah. I mean, it's like it, having never seen it, you know, I, I, I was, I was, I was more or less into it, but I was just kind of like, yeah, that first hour is kind of just r- rough going for a while there. Um, but uh, so, yeah, it kind of has a slow momentum until it really starts starts going. So it's, you know, I, I enjoyed it overall, um, you know, for, you know, for what it is. Um, I don't really want to see the sequel. <laughs> I, just, I don't care, but I, I guess I would watch it. I don't know. Is it fun? Is that one? Fun? I, I know. I know overall, like everybody says it's a much worse movie, but like, I feel like I liked this and I haven't seen it for a long time and I bet it's really shitty, but I remember liking it a lot more than I, than I feel like I liked this, this last one or the first one. It's, there's a big difference between barbarian and destroyer. And the, the huge difference is the violence. Uh, That's, this is, a much more adult movie. That's a PG 13 movie. The, uh, the whole tone is different and it's much more lighthearted. This is just, you know, is filled with testosterone and masculinity and these violent scenes, this bloody, you know, fights and, uh, it's, and it, that one just doesn't have it. It just feels like a like sort of like a G-rated version yeah, of the, it. It's the Disney version of of Conan. Yeah, <laughs> which as a kid makes a lot more sense. But when you you know you don't have you don't have a strong I mean you don't have the 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 strength of the writing of Milius and and some elements from Oliver Stone uh, aren't there in the second one. It's just more of an action movie, and they've got a lot more characters and it's very um a little more mystical uh i just absolutely yeah i i just don't think it works i've never thought destroyer was even close to the poster's great but (laughs) the uh movie itself uh does not uh hold up to to this one and i'm you know i think that's the general consensus like when you talk to people about it but 
I, yeah. It, you're, I, that's probably accurate. It's just yeah. been so long since I've seen it. <laughs> but, but when it's the first one that you've seen, that's the one that's sort of imprinted on your brain. That That's the measuring well, right. stick. And I mean, I was, you know, what, eight years old maybe when I was seeing this. So it was, you know, at that time it was PG, it was accessible. Um, I somehow had seen Beastmaster, which I don't think, which I think was R and I liked that. And so, you know, I think, I think I was really into these movies, at least the ones that I could get my hands on. And yeah. so, um, yeah, I liked it at the time. And there were more recognizable people, I think, for me in that at this time as well. Like, oh, yeah. Like Grace Jones, I recognized from from certain things. And Wilt Chamberlain, obviously, I recognized from from basketball. And so, you know, like, I think I just connected with it more. But also, again, like, it, it is like the Disney version of, of, of Conan. Yeah. Which was intentional. Like, they did that. I'm, like, that's... They oh, wanted, yeah. They wanted it to be more accessible. Yeah, exactly. That was part of the fallout of this movie, which we'll kind of come back to. But um, and Red Sonia, while not officially a Conan movie, it might as well be. It's. I mean, it's you know, like it was. Red Sonia was created by you know um, uh, the same writer, you know, and so like it absolutely feels it, it set in the same world feels like the same thing. If if I hadn't looked into it, I would have thought that the Arnold character in that was just Conan, you know? Oh but, yeah. I mean, he is Conan. He just has a different name. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's, I watched the trailer for it and red Sonia is much more along the lines of Conan, the destroyer. Uh, yeah. Arnold is, you know, it's, it's Arnold at this point, I think has made commando and is probably about to make predator. So he's, uh, Oh, but for Red Sonia, yeah. Yeah, that he's, you know, his, his language has come a lot further along, his acting ability, you know, he's more sarcastic and joking around and, uh, you know, he's got a little bit more of a range to him. Uh, so he's not quite this stoic, tough guy that Conan the Barbarian is. Yeah, I think Red Sonia and Commando were filming at the same time. Right, and then yeah. Raw, he, then he, then there was Raw Deal and Predator, yeah. So, but Terminator had come out. He was on top of the world. Oh, yeah. You know, it was, and this movie, and Red Sonja was not like the weight of the world was not on his shoulders for this movie. Yeah, he's the co star. That's her movie. He's not the, he's not the lead, you know. He would Uh, have the, these days, he would have the end credit. Yeah. I mean, although I think they used, they, they probably pumped his name up quite a bit to bring people in even though it didn't do, I mean, Red Sonja got just fleeced at the box office. Yeah. I don't know that it worked much, but. Well, watching the trailer, like he's in probably 50% of the trailer, but you can tell they're the same scenes. Yeah. So, you know, he's not in, like, you could just tell if you know what you're looking for, that he's not in a lot of this movie, but. Yeah. He's only like in three or four scenes in the movie. And, you know, like the only one of them is really significant. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, all right. So what do we think about the thing that obviously jumped out at me this time is, boy, how are women portrayed in this movie? Not well. (laughs) No, 
Yeah. I mean, I don't think John Milius is or Oliver Stone is really known for their uh, faithful portrayals of women in their films. But, uh, you know, they're either they're either whores or sex objects. I mean, even Sandal Bergman is like just a, like a sexy version of Conan. Yeah. Conan's Get sexy. It? I know. I was going to say Conan's just a sexy version of Conan. So, <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I mean, when you said your grandma rented this movie to watch, why do you think that was, John? <laughs> Let's not go there. <laughs> uh, uh, I agree, though. I feel like a lot of the women in this are just like puppets, right? Like, yeah. I mean, I don't. I can't even. Uh, 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 there's only really three women I can think about in this in this movie, right? There's son. There's there's Valeria, right? And then there's the the kind of uh sacrificial snake girl who falls down into the pit and then there's uh Seedow's daughter yep. who's like kind of at the front of the temple and pops up here and there. Yeah. But other than that like Conan's so, mom who gets killed. Yeah, I mean yeah. I guess that's true. <laughs> Apparently every woman though in in this age in history is a model from Eastern Europe. Apparently. Yeah. yeah. Everyone, yeah. Everyone's gorgeous. And very um, scantily clad. Yeah, no clothes. That was just that's what you wore then. Yeah, uh, yeah, I agree. It's it's not not good, um, and doesn't it, it just stands out watching these movies? It it makes it really hard to once you notice it, which obviously you you would very quickly in a movie like this. Uh, it I think it it holds it back these days from a modern audience's perspective. Yeah, yeah. Just not that interesting. But yeah, I mean, you have an opportunity with with Valeria, but they just they don't really go there. Yeah, yeah. You know, it could be interesting. Who is she? What? Where? What's her character's background? Why is she doing this? Yeah. Uh, instead, you get, you know, she falls for him pretty quickly. They have this montage to a couple of montages together. She sacrifices herself for him, essentially. And, and then that's it. And then we see her pop up, you know, she's sort of comes back from the dead to save him. And then she's gone. Yeah. And I think, does she pop up in the second one? I feel like she pops up again in there, but I, I could I be don't, wrong. I don't think she does. I mean, maybe I'm confusing it with red Sonia. I, I think you could be. Because she's definitely she's definitely in Red Sonia. I don't no. think she I don't think she pops up in Destroyer though. So all right, so let's talk about the reaction to the film because there's different sort of levels of reaction. Um, the audiences is sort of a mixed review that you know they see it for what it is. That is it brilliant? No, is it? kind of good action yes is it gore you know gory and violent yes so uh you're you're not you know you're not marketing it to kids you're marketing it to adults young adults are gonna are really enjoying it older people are not um but the movie does pretty well at the box office it's not a blockbuster not a huge hit but enough of a hit to be substantial so but really, it's it's the careers of some of these people, the impact it had on them that really propelled them. So obviously, 
this is what launches Arnold. And it's really the springboard or sort of the stepping stone to Terminator because you need this movie to show that, hey, this guy's some, there's something here. And if we can figure out how to, what to do with him, he can be huge. And thank God for James Cameron coming in next. Well, and how perfect is Terminator for his next thing? Like he gets to be this huge, formidable, like badass who has what? Three speaking lines in the entire movie. Like his whole yeah. like weakness is eliminated from that character completely. Like yeah. it's brilliant. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Another, another just smart way to work around what his, his weaknesses were at the time. Yeah. It bought him about three or four years to like really get the accent under control before Commando really is the first movie with dialogue for him. Yeah. And it's pretty, I mean, like it's obviously better, but it's still like when you go back and watch Commando, you're like, oh, huh? What was that one? Yeah. What was was that? Oh, I love that movie so much. So is that a mouth of marbles? I don't understand. (laughs) I don't understand what you just said. Um, Another another person whose career, which we haven't mentioned here, is the composer Basil Polidorus. Uh, I love the score for this movie. That theme song is, I have an album, an al- album. I have a CD, that's right, compact disc of Arnold's best theme songs. And, Cassette tape? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, nope, compact disc. <laughs> uh, and this was like, I forgot how great that theme song was till I listened to it, but this is one of his best. He's got some great ones, but this is one of the top. Yeah, it's pretty iconic. I had forgotten kind of all about it. And then hearing it again, I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember it's really, this. It's really nice. Really good stuff. It, it's like instant. It's 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 forever. Yeah, it's like it's forever Conan, right? Like, so yeah. It's like a nice iconic theme. And that sort of metallic sound, the clanging, like matches perfectly for the steel theme that's in the, in the film. Yeah, um, just one of the one of the high points of the movie is is the score and the music. And and Basil Polidorus would have a huge composing career. He would hook up with uh, Paul Verhoeven. He did RoboCop. He did Starship Troopers. A bunch of bunch of other films, but uh, a really great way to start here. And he was really an unknown commodity at the time that that Milius brought in. And then John Milius, this is sort of one of the great achievements of his career in that it's a, a sort of a legendary movie that, yeah, maybe it doesn't hold up perfectly and maybe it's not his best screenplay, but it's probably, this is the most money he ever made in his career was right here. So that has to, I guess that counts for something. Yeah. Uh, okay. So should we talk a little box office? Sure. Is it time? Yeah, I think so. A little Let's BO. Do it. All right. So it's got a $16 million budget that we said already ballooned up to about 20. Uh, it comes out May 14th, 1982. And it is number one at the box office. It wow. is ahead of uh, another hit from 1982, Porky's. Oh, there we go. Can you believe Porky's is the number five movie uh, for 1982? What week was it? Uh, no, I mean, I mean overall oh, for overall, the year. For the number five? Porky's wow. is number five. Not a, not a strong year, but I remember Porky's being really popular. Yeah. Like, yeah. 
And also uh, a movie that can probably not be spoken of today. Oh, no, it's like right up there with Revenge of the Nerds and those type of movies. Like they're just not even, I mean, they should be. Yeah. They should be locked away. Yeah. If they were burning books uh, and burning films, Porky's would probably be first in. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, all right. So opening weekend, it does 9.4 million. It ends up with a $38 million domestic run, 79 million worldwide. Uh, does huge, you know, a few years later when it comes out on home video, does huge numbers there. A very popular rental title, which is, like I mentioned, where I saw it. Uh, it ends up number 17 of 1982 between The Dark Crystal and The Sword and the Sorcerer. So wow. another a lot of fantasy going all on. Fantasy. Yeah. A lot of fantasy. 80, the early 80s, a lot of fantasy films. The same people went to see all three movies. But then yeah. this this really created uh, that that fantasy subgenre, and this is this is the standard bearer. Like this is the the top level uh, of those films that you would see Beastmaster, and then of course sequels to this movie. But tons of low budget, uh, low low budget versions of this movie that went all through, especially the early eighties. Yeah. Uh, movies that I think our friend E.K. Wimmer would cover on Laser Graves and probably has, uh, yeah. so you can check out his archives, but uh, <laughs> um, read, things that are right up his alley. The, uh, we mentioned the marketing of it was, uh, you know, they spent $12 million on the posters and, and this movie was everywhere. Universal oh. pushed this movie very, very hard. Uh, so, you know, and then they used those Frank Frazetta artwork uh, just kind of, pushing Arnold specifically into that onto those posters. But, um, you know, also kind of star Wars, you know, ish that like male in the center with the sword and the lady kind of holding his leg. You know, we saw that, uh, what even in national lampoons vacation, it was a very, uh, popular poster. In this era. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. What do you guys think? Should we should we let's rank the film on our our reconsider scale from one to ten? Ten being holds up perfectly. Uh, what forty years later, almost. Mm. Almost. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I'm 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 around a five and a half, six kind of guy for this one for me, just in terms of. Uh, enjoyment and being able to hold up and all that. I mean, it's, it's, it's perfectly fine for what it is um, with, a, with the flaws we've sort of mentioned, but yeah, you know, yeah, that's, that's probably where I'd put it. Yeah. It's interesting. Like, I don't think I'll ever go back and watch it again. Right. Like I just right. don't see myself doing it, but if a new Conan like Conan series or a new Conan movie, like I would watch those, you know, based off, you know, my, my um, warm feelings of those early years of watching Conan and, you know, the fact that Arnold launched his career off of it, like, um, didn't love this movie, uh, but I'd probably give it, you know, mid, maybe lower to mid fives, like five, I'll go five, and a half yeah okay yeah yeah i i was probably i i think just because i'm 
I've seen it many times. I, I've got some love for it. I can recognize a lot of the faults. Uh, what what you guys are saying that the pacing of the film, uh, the you know the the portrayal of women really like brought it down for me on this viewing. So I, mine's probably mine's probably down to about a six, probably a six point three. There you go. So. I, I, there are things I enjoy about it. I thought the action was great. I loved the, you know, I didn't mind the gore. Uh, Arnold, I think, is fantastic for what he is and what he could handle at the time. James Earl Jones, I loved, absolutely loved him. Um, and even I didn't mention earlier William Smith, who plays his father in the beginning, uh, is another. I think he pops up in a number of John Milius projects, but um, a good actor who was up for he was up for the role of of Conan, and then was uh passed really? on and recast as oh. the father so oh i thought you know, it's you know a name that popped in my head when we were talking about it and and i didn't mention it but another person maybe if you were to recast the 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 spot what about uh lou ferrigno <laughs> sure i think you'd have almost a worse problem with the the, the accent yeah the, yeah yeah probably i just think of him as the hulk and i'm like I, he didn't do much talking so yeah, I guess this would have been around the same time, right? The Hulk, Incredible Hulk, was the late seventies, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think I think so. Yeah, and his well, his accent was he was also hard of hearing, so he had mm. you know speech related issues from that. But um, yeah, it would have been interesting. I, I don't think he's as charismatic as Arnold at no. all. But no, I th- I mean, like I said, Arnold's the Arnold's the guy. But- yeah. Just thinking about it, an other huge dudes that could that could move planets. Yeah, that'd be one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but if you're an Arnold fan, it's a must watch. I mean, it really you need to see the beginning of 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 his career and and what really helped helped launch him. Even though it was really Terminator that made him that A level star, uh, yeah. this is what you know put him in that position. So, um, you know, if you haven't seen it highly recommended just if you're an Arnold fan uh, or a fan of fantasy, you know, these fantasy films, because it probably is the best, the most well put together uh, of the, of those sword and sandal fantasy films. I mean, it, it, it changed it from, from, yeah, yeah, from that time frame. It, it it changed it from what it was in the, you know, the, the fifties and the sixties versions of the, of those films. Does clash of the Titans fall into that? Kind of. I mean, clash of the Titans comes out right around the same time as this. Yeah. Uh, maybe the year one, before. I mean, I have to go back and rewatch that one, but Harry Housen and yeah, I mean, that, I, I, that's another one that I saw. I don't even know how many times as a kid. Yeah. And, and I actually, I would really love to cover that on this show too. That's, that's a really interesting film with a lot of great, great actors uh, in it to see how it holds up today. Yeah, so put that one on the list for season put four. Put it on the list. There we go. But Conan really took it, took those style of films, and just introduced this extreme violence to it that would mm-hmm. continue. But this is the most um, well put together of those films. So and was the standard bearer. So yeah, uh, that's what I'm. That's what I'm going to rank at a six point six point three, and. Uh, you know that's uh, that's going to wrap up our our season three. We're going to wind it down with Arnold. Not that Arnold winds anything down; he winds it up. So, yeah. what it's know. done is it's it's cranking up the Arnold for for the next season. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 
So I'm, I'm really excited to uh, continue another year with you guys. And uh, we've had a lot of fun this year in particular as the show continues to grow. And thank you for everyone for, for listening. Um, we always appreciate the ratings and reviews and the comments. We're getting a lot more comments on our Twitter and our Instagram. And thank you guys. We love engaging with you guys. You can find us at Reconsidimation Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, you can find our archives at reconsidimation.com. And don't forget to uh, quick shout out to our, our friends, Curtis Moore for the poster. This was a tough one to do. I mean, a lot of pressure on him for this poster. <laughs> you know, you're competing with Frank Frazetta, but if anybody can do it, it's Curtis. So <laughs> I'm sure he'll knock it out of the park. <laughs> and uh, thank you to our friend EK Wimmer for the theme song. Uh, don't forget to check out Laser Graves, his podcast. And uh, that's that's about it. We're gonna uh, we'll be back here for season four. So stay tuned, everybody, and we'll see you next time on Reconsinimation. Take care. Bye now. Bye.